there, true believers? This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. And welcome back for this section for... a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. Once again, I am continuing my multi-epic coverage of the DC Comics Armageddon 2001. Uh, we've looked at the... The first issue of the series, or the miniseries, whatever it was, two issues, whatever you call that. We looked at the uh, Superman book. Now let's move on to the other popular character from the early 90s, Batman. And I'm not alone. As I've been doing for this event, I pull in other podcasting guests and hosts to help me talk about this. I had Chris Franklin lined up, but he put a restraining order out on me. I don't know what's going on there. And I was going to pull in uh, Ryan Daly, both of them from the Batman, the Dark Knight podcast. But he's busy being a chew toy for his new son, Snake Eyes Daly. So instead, I went and scoured the internet. And I've mentioned this group before, the Unite DC Comics uh, project. My buddy Mag started up. Well, from there, I I scavenged through there and I found what I'm going to call Batman expert for this episode. Uh, Help me give me a warm welcome for Mr. John Jack. Hey, John, how you doing today? Oh, very good, Aaron. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, it's the first time we've actually talked live, well, you know, as it were. We've, we've commented each other and talked a lot on Facebook, but... Yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of internet actual, chatter. <laughs> yeah, this is our first actual voice-to-voice communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and one thing I didn't cover in our preliminary stuff, uh, real quick, John, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody uh, real quick, you know, who you are and... Uh, your, your your love of comics, Batman, where you come from? All right. So I um, I write for a comic book news and review site called ComicWatch.com, as well as run about a half dozen Facebook pages for various heroes, as well as have a group called For the Love of Comic Books. And in addition, uh, last year I read Every single post-crisis Batman appearance, about 4,000 comics. And then right now, I'm trying to speed run through all 1,000 issues of Action Comics for the 18th, which is when Action Comics 1,000 comes out. Uh, I'm running a little behind because my phone broke 
on about issue 410 right now. I've read 410 issues of action in the last two and a half weeks. Ten days to go, so you better hurry up. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, not that bad. It's 10 days. It's like 45 issues a day. I could probably do it if I really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> might just go over a little bit. Because right after post-crisis, they did uh, where Action, Man, Superman, Man of Steel, and Superman all released in a wave to make continuous arcs across all three books. So right, yeah, then the Triangle Era, era exactly. which is one of my personally my favorite. <laughs> so uh, I already have those on my computer purposely collated in such a way where they're in reading order rather than numbered order. So I'll probably right. switch over to those after 1986. I'm about 1972 right now, comic-wise. <laughs> um, so after 1986, I might switch over to those, which will add a few weeks or a couple weeks to my reading project. But it'll make the books actually make sense. Otherwise, I'm just reading a third of each arc. <laughs> Which sounds terrible. <laughs> and actually, the the where you needed to read, you know, the books in order like that didn't start until ninety or ninety one. Mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Bef- the first part of the post crisis Action Weekly, they were still well, like a- Action Comics mm-hmm. up until Action Weekly, Superman, Adventure Superman. They had their own story arcs, mm-hmm. and they didn't cross over as much. I say it was. Uh, maybe the late 80s, early 90s, they started crossing over more, and then, I think it was 90 or 91, they came out and they started doing the Triangle Era. Yeah. And then that's when they actually started doing the numbering on the cover, which, again, I really loved, so... Yeah, I like that. Um, I I liked it less on Batman, because I was reading Batman when I was a kid, and I remember I had no idea what was going on, because one issue would be Long Years Batman, and one issue would be Regular Suit Batman, and one issue, because it was... Batman, Detective Comics, and Batman Shadow of the Bat all running in single right. arcs. And so, like, Shadow of the Bat, you had Glenn Orbit cover, painted oil painting covers. And, you know, Detective Comics, you have Graham Nolan. Like, like just <laughs> yeah. it didn't work with Batman very well. It works better with Superman because I think he's more consistent stylistically than Batman was at that era because um, – they were pushing the long ears Batman really hard in the main Batman title, but not in the other two Batman titles. So you have arcs where one out of the three issues he'll be long ears and super oh, yeah. saggy and stuff, and then just normal the other two issues. And as a kid, I had no idea what was going on. Now as an adult, it makes still not really sense, but I at least understand why they did it. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, I'm glad I finally get to talk to you in actual person, and as it were. And again, we're, since you are mentioning Batman, yeah. uh, we are talk, here to talk about the Batman Annual, which came out in 1991. Uh, this is part of the Armageddon 2001 crossover. Uh, we're going to talk about Batman Annual number 15, which had a cover date of 1991, but to buy it on sale, you had to be buying comics April the 16th of 1991. And this cost $2.00. Two dollars. Wish you buy comic for two dollars nowadays. Uh, <laughs> the title of this one was called "The Last Batman Story." Writer was Alan Grant. Penciler was Jim Fern. Inker was Steve Leola. Leola. Letterer John Costanza. Colorist Adrian Roy. Editor Dennis O'Neill. The cover was by Scott Hampton. And this, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this was reprinted in Batman Annual Number Fifteen Variant, which came out in 1991. Uh, our synopsis, our story starts with Batman on patrol, thinking of his eventual end. 
He then rescues a bum from some thugs. The bum turns out to be our old buddy Waverider, who takes this opportunity to look into Batman's future. In 2001, we see the Joker being declared sane and announcing he's starting a talk show while Tim Drake, a.k.a. Robin, retires. Shortly thereafter, Batman's enemies start getting killed off one by one. Scarecrow, Killer Moth, the Ventriloquist, Riddler. Batman is questioned about the murders and released. Shortly thereafter, the Penguin is robbing a jewelry store where a cake crusader shows up and stops him. After a brief tussle, Penguin falls off the balcony to his death. Sometime later, we find out that Batman is on death row for the Penguin's death. Gordon and Sarah Essen show up to bid Batman a farewell. Gordon leaves ranting about the mayor, and when Sarah reminds him about his heart, he responds, My heart's in there, with the finest man I ever knew. We then see the Joker talking with the doctors and declared him sane. We cut away as he calls for Dean and Art to come see the doctors. Elsewhere, Catwoman is busting some heads looking for answers for the, to the murder of Batman's enemies and the death of the Penguin. Back in prison, Tim Drake visits the caged bat, to see if there's anything he can do to help. Batman refuses help, and Tim leaves. As the ex-Robin leaves, Batman gets a call from the Joker to be on the show. Batman agrees, and we see Anarchy approaching the prison. Tim returns to Wayne Manor to look at his old costume, and with an elderly Alfred standing on watching. Back at prison, Anarchy breaks in and has a discussion of Batman and offers to break him free. Batman asks him to do him a favor instead. Elsewhere in the city, Catwoman searches letter to Killer Croc, who is a TV wrestler. They tussle, and Catwoman gets the better of the crocodile. She discovers that he is the one who told Penguin about his last score. And he was passing the information on from the Joker. Back at prison, Robin arrives to see Anarchy leaving. They tussle, and before the cops show up, the two men take their leave. Right after the Joker arrives to interview the Batman. The Joker starts his show showing a computer mock-up of Batman in the electric chair. As Batman and his arch-enemy talk, the Joker says that Batman should share a secret identity with the world. He pulls off the cow to reveal Lonnie Machen, a.k.a. Anarchy. In the Batmobile, we see Bruce and Robin talking. Robin says that he knew that Ar Anarchy was actually Batman as soon as he hit him. Batman reveals that when he was talking with the Joker on the phone, the Clown Prince of Crime made some comment that the Penguin made when he died, which he couldn't have known about. Back at the Joker's penthouse, Catwoman shows up and fights Dean and Art, or two mutant baboons. As the animals are finishing off Selena, Batman and Robin fly in of jet boots, or mummy rocket boots, whichever it is, and takes the two animals out, just in time for Catwoman to die in Batman's arms. Batman kisses his love, and then vows that tonight is it. Joker arrives home, and the Batman causes his helicopter to crash. As Batman and Robin go looking for the Joker, they find the Joker's doctors all dead, thanks to Dan and Art. While Tim looks at the computers to find proof of Batman's innocence, the Batman and Joker fight. During the fight, the Joker monologues about his plan, how the Penguin and the Doctors declare Joker sane, how Dan Art disposed of Batman's enemies, framing the Dark Knight, and how the uh, Penguin tried to blackmail the Joker. While Batman and Penguin are fighting, Dan shot him with a poison dart. The Joker goes for a last stab at Batman, hitting an electro socket, and frying himself. Robin arrives to tell Batman he found everything they need to find Batman standing over the Joker's corpse, laughing. Return to present time, where Batman has sensed Wave Rider. Wave Rider reveals himself to Batman and tells him his mission. The two men depart to continue the missions to be continued. So, uh, John, uh, first off, let's take a look mm -hmm. at the cover itself. The cover of this one, it's a rather simple cover. It's, it's the Batman logo, the Armageddon 2001 logo at the top. And we get a very dark picture of uh, Batman in handcuffs. 
Actually, it's not like it's, it's hand, hands are handcuffed with a chain between them. Uh, what are your thoughts on yeah. this cover? I really like the simplicity of it, and uh, it does a good job of kind of conveying the dark Batman in chains. And was it by Scott Hampton? Is that right? Yes, looks right. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> um, it, it does kind of it um, reminds me of some other covers I saw back in that era, but I'm drawing a blank on what um, definitely. It pastels. It's hard to tell what it, the medium is. It's maybe, different. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, maybe either watercolors it's, or pastel or something. Yeah, it's very. Could it be oil painting, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's not. None of those were popular then. It doesn't look like traditional pen and ink and color. It's no. It's it's beautiful actually. The more I look at it, the more I like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, yeah. I've, so on a scale of one to five. Uh, what would you give this? One being horrible, three being de- you know a good cover, and five being a must-have. Maybe frame it on your wall. The cover for the cover, yeah, the cover itself. As I said, the more the closer I look, the detail is phenomenal, and the the motif is perfect, and the tone is really good for the issue. I'd have to give it at least a four, maybe even a five. Oh, very good. And myself, I say, I, yeah. much like you, I, I agree that at first, when I first looked at this, I, I would give it a two or a three because I'm like, eh, it's a, a decent cover, but it, it, it's not very detailed. I mean, it doesn't, all it does is show Batman in chains. But like you mm-hmm. said, the more you look at it, I mean, that's, that's the issue. The story is that Batman's arrested, he's been in prison, so that very much conveys what's going on in the book. And yeah, it's not as bright, but then again, it's a Batman book, so it shouldn't be bright. So... Yeah, the, the more you look at it, the more... Like I said, there's not a lot of detail per se, but the details come out the more you look at it and the the, the uh, more I tend to like it also. So I'm, Yeah, and the shading and the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the very, yeah we can't see Batman's face just because you know, it's a dark and part of the bat symbols and shadows. It's it's a very nice cover, and I'm going to have to agree with you. I'd probably, I'd probably give it a four also. Well, not the, the absolute mm-hmm. best. It is a really good cover. So good be so we'll give it a four. You give it almost a five, somewhere in there. Very good. And for the story itself, uh, what are your thoughts and opinions on the story? Overall, I call it, I'd call it a pretty good story. Um, there are some some small things that I found kind of strange within, out of character at times. Hmm. Some of the stuff. I mean, I understand it's in the future, and a lot of the stuff that happens within this series it, it involves. Uh, characters changing right. and that's the idea behind the whole thing is there's you know um wave riders kind of taking each hero down their darkest possible future basically right you know it, i feel like all in all it's kind of more or less telegraphed from the start what's going to happen like as soon as you see anarchy you know he's going to break batman out and you know he's going to switch with batman doesn't help that i've never really liked anarchy <laughs> <laughs> Like, as a character, ever since I was a kid. Um, plus, like, the rocket boots, uh, the, the panel with the rocket boots, like, they're flying up with, like, big grins on their faces, <laughs> which kind of bothered me. Yeah, I didn't think about what you mentioned it, because I, I just, I mean, I, I like, I mean, I grew up with the, the 60s Batman and the, the, the Super Friends cartoon, so I'm kind of used to that, so I didn't really think about what you mentioned yet. Yeah, and the only reason... My again in quotes no prize for that would just be that they're that they're you know they've been apart for a while that Robin's done his own thing and they're back together so it's not so much that they're they're grinning about the situation they're in mm-hmm. 
It's just that Harold's made them some rocket boots, so it sounds like these rocket boots are new for them. And mm-hmm. like Robin says there on the top in the big panel on page, it isn't numbered. We don't number pages, it makes it harder to talk about. It's like 44 or so where they're flying up the, the rocket boots on. Uh, Tim mm-hmm. says, you know, it's only been a couple months, but it's be, like being reborn, being born again. Batman's all tell me about it. So I think it's just the fact that they're together again is what is why they're smiling. It's just to show that they're, I don't know if I use the word happy, but the fact that they're happy that they're, you know, the Batman and Robin is back together again and they're flying into battle. So, but I, I, yeah. I can't see what you're talking about, that it is a little odd that they're smiling as they're off to fight. The I, I do think it's funny that, uh, that both, of the Batman one shots, Tim is still in his Robin costume from 1988, and he's like 35. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's what we, I, I, no, no update whatsoever. I'm trying to remember who I talked to somebody about. I think it was uh, oh, when I talked with Michael Bailey and Clinton Robinson on outside of uh, reality real quick, I recorded both of their Superman comics, the Superman and Action Comics, and one of them, I forget the one I released, or the other one, the Justice League was the Justice League International at that time, and like one of them commented, it's kind of funny that 10 years in the future, while things have changed, the Justice League was the same lineup for the most part it was then. Like you said, Robin's still in the same costume he, he had on. <laughs> they didn't really update the yeah. costume any. yeah. I mean, Superman got an updated costume in his. Right. With the, yeah. the call chain. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, Batman and Robin are both. Yeah, these are pretty much. If you took this panel by itself, you, you if you didn't read this series, this, this annual, you wouldn't know this in the future, yeah. really. it's. You wouldn't know any. You could have just been ni- 1991. Yeah. And I, I can see why, maybe why they did it. They don't want to, I don't know. I would say they didn't want to alter the costumes too much because they want to be recognizable. But mm. on the other hand, I said, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe, especially the way characters change costumes, that they wouldn't have tweaked it some in the intervening 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, as we see in the, I mean, you know, the, the Batman costumes changed radically in the, you know, it went all, all black and. Yeah, it went to purple for a minute there. And. <laughs> Because purple is blacker than black, according to some. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what the local my comic book store guy told me. Uh, is he said they went purple because they they said that purple is easier to render in darkness, and it made it so he was wearing a darker shade of black, but it was actually purple. I'm like that makes no sense. Purple is lighter than black. Purple is lighter than black. <laughs> I, I can kind of see what he's saying because if you have a black costume on a character that works at night, it's kind of hard to make out if he's all black yeah. where he's at. So they, I, I can see the one for the purple to give it the, that black look, but to still make it seen yeah. in a night scene. So I, I can kind of see what he's referring to. Yeah. I don't know. I, I also don't like the purple like in the, in the rebirth suit right now, the purple on the inside of the cape. I do not like it at all. So it could just be me not liking Batman wearing purple. <sighs> Well, just to put my cards on the table, I like... This costume is not bad. Uh, the, I was reading the Detective one also, and that one, that's a slightly different costume color scheme. Mm-hmm. And that one there in the Detective comics, which we'll get to in a couple of months, is more of the, the 70s, like a gray with like the blue pants, or the blue uh, shorts and the blue cape. 
I, mm-hmm. I personally like that one because that's the one I grew up with. Again, re- when I grew up, yeah, they went a bit more Aparo style. Because yeah, I, I didn't read comics growing up for the most part, and I watched the cartoons, did the coloring books and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's the Batman I grew up with, almost Adam West. That's- so I personally have a you know. I like that one better than the pure black or the purple like you're the, the new fifty two one, just because that's what yeah. I grew up with. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when I grew up, I, you know, it was the nineties, and we had the black suit, and the purple suit was like late nineties, early two thousands, because they were trying to make. I think they were trying to be able to put Batman in darker right. spaces. Yeah, <laughs> I never liked it. Even as a kid, even as a twelve-year-old, well, that's why I like the grayer suit with the yellow bat symbol on it, because you can mm-hmm. do that in a nighttime scene. And I understand realistically, yes, he would want to wear darker colors. He would want to blend this. You can't see him at night. Mm-hmm. That's that's, that's his whole shtick. But for a comics medium, we we need to be able to see him in the darkness. So I, I personally, and again, yeah. not only did I grow up with it, but I think the gray and the the blue works better on a visually tell, visual storytelling sense because, yeah, I say you don't have to mm. fall back on, well, it's purple, but it's black. No, purple's darker, you know, darker than black. No, not really. <laughs> like, like you it's said, not, well, it's, it's not. Black is black, and purple's lighter than black. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that one. That I understand why they would do it, but that's that's why I like the, the uh, blue and gray Batman better because... Why well, doesn't blend as well as night? Mm. It does make it easier for vi- storytelling purposes to do a, a nighttime character if you can actually see the character. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, it's Batman. He should he should be able to be wearing day glow orange and still sneak up on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, about day glow orange, but yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> He's in the floor. How did he get it in the floor? <laughs> That's his job. He's the effing Batman. <laughs> Compresses himself down like a sponge and somehow goes through a crack in the wall. <laughs> what'd you uh, What'd you think of the art in this issue? Overall, I enjoyed it. I mean, there was a few panels here and there where it wasn't the greatest, but overall, I liked it. I liked mm-hmm. it. We're talking about now, you know, trying to blend. Batman into the night. I like here on the first page where you get Batman on the top of that cathedral and we just see the black silhouette of Batman with a little bit of the, the yellow symbol. I like that. Yeah, that's that's a good one to cover, or that first page. Yeah. Um, some of the pages... The cape's almost McFarlane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, McFarlane. Border, borderline camps. McFarlane. <laughs> And I, I do like there on, uh, again, it's not really numbered, I'm guesstimating, page five, when uh, the the bum, a.k.a. Wave Rider, reaches out and touches Batman. And again, we get kind of a yeah. reference to the first issue where he's flashing back to who it could have been possibly that saved him. Oh, yeah, that, that was actually a nice callback. I really liked that. I like that they keep referencing that event throughout the event because uh, I assume it'll come to some level of importance by the end. Yeah. I don't know. But it's, and I, <laughs> I, I'm going to say now, I don't want without giving any spoilers, because you haven't finished rereading that, and we talked about before we started recording that you're in the process of rereading the whole event. So I don't want to give any spoilers mm-hmm. away for anyone else that may be reading along for the first time or rereading, but I like it, but I have some issues with it, which I'll discuss in the last episode when we actually get to 
Armageddon 2001 issue 2. I've got some thoughts on that, but we'll hold off on that right now. But I, I do. I was pretty. Oh, sorry. That's what I was gonna say. I do really like the fact that they kept referring to it since they referred to it in the first issue, and they're making re-references to it in continuing issues. Uh, what were you gonna say? Yeah, that's a nice touch. I was saying uh, I was really happy to find because I, you know, I got these two issues for the podcast, right. and uh, I was really happy to find that despite never being collected, the majority of the issues you can find them for like a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> on eBay. And that may be why they haven't been collected. We talked about that earlier. That It's a shame that this is one event they haven't recollected yet. Yeah. They've recollected a lot of that the is... other legends they've recently recollected. They've collected the Crisis. They've collected... Well, I mean, they haven't collected... What? Did they ever collect Final Night? Yeah. I want to say they did. I don't have that, but I'm pretty sure they I don't collected... think I've ever seen a trade of Final Night. You have to check on that and or, see uh... it. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure they had that collected back in the 90s, late 90s, I want to yeah. say. I think I saw it at a bookstore. That would make sense. But, yeah, I haven't heard nobody, like, this event, Final Night, right. uh, what was after it, what, Justice League International disbanding. <laughs> like, the, the breakdown storyline? Yeah. yeah. None of that stuff. Maybe then the omnibuses they'll get to those. Right. What I've been saying, because uh, what I've been saying for a while now is, I would love it if the way they've done, like New Fifty Two, everything's in numbered trades. Rebirth, everything's in numbered trades. I'd love it if they just start post crisis and do just maybe one a month of, right. you know, like just ten issues at a time and freaking. 40 trades, bam, you've got every issue of Post-Crisis Batman. Yeah, that would be... I know they started doing that with Superman. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they could tell how far they went with it, but I know they, they were doing trade paperbacks of the, the John Byrne slash Mike mm-hmm. Harlan run of Superman. Yeah, I wonder if stuff wasn't selling well or something. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be a super hot seller to people who aren't, like, dedicated collectors. Well, I think I think they but, they may have stopped doing that after the new Fifty Two, possibly because they want to focus on, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee and the, the newer people, and the new continuity, if you will, possibly. Yeah, it's it seems like stuff like Absolute Editions and Omnibuses are almost only Jeff Johns, new or Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, Grant Morrison, like. If you're not one of those people, then there's a solid chance. But even Jeff Johns, like Jeff Johns' Booster Gold run, right. isn't all collected. You know, Gotham Central, you got to get the omnibus to get all the issues. Speaking of Booster Gold, they ought to do an omnibus collecting Dan Jurgens and Jeff Johns' runs on those, put them all together, and that would be a nice book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a Booster Gold omnibus. Yeah. I would buy that. Oh yeah, I, I, I like <laughs> Booster Gold. He's one of my. He's in my top ten. Yeah, yeah. I recently reread all of the Johns Jurgens Booster Gold, like two thousand five, two thousand six. Right. That was a great series. <laughs> yeah, I bought that one. It came. I, I missed. I started collecting comics like I've talked about previously in eighty seven, eighty eight. So I missed mm-hmm. the original Dan Jurgens run on it, but. I need to go back and pick up those and reread those, read those books because I love Dan Jurgens and I love Booster Gold. So, oh yeah, I know that recent action arc with Booster was great. Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Superman, Booster Gold, Dan yeah. Jurgens, yeah, you can't go wrong there. Time, time's finest. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. Oh man, but, we were actually talking last night about Jurgens, where because uh, Robert Venditti is leaving Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, and we had a nice discussion over who could replace him because since 2006, the two main writers on Green Lantern have been Robert Venditti and Jeff Johns. Right. So we're in the name that kept coming up was Dan Jurgens. I would love to see Dan oh, Jurgens write Green Lantern. Definitely, I would love to see. I, I love to see Dan on anything. I'd love to see him on a Green Lantern, but that would be really good. Yeah. If you're listening to DC, make that happen. Put Dan Jurgens on a Green Lantern. <laughs> well, Jim Lee, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're a great man, Jim Lee. I don't care what we said earlier. <laughs> Reprogram yourself. Yeah. Take back it all. Put Dan on Green Lantern. <laughs> But anyway, it's enough about Dan Jurgens for right now. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has nothing to do with this specific issue of Armageddon 2001. Batman or... Well, actually, Dan Jurgens has a lot to do with Armageddon 2001, but not this particular yeah. issue. <laughs> not, he's not involved in this one. That's what I was saying. Not with this particular issue of Armageddon okay, yeah. <laughs> So what do you mean? Their thoughts on this issue? Do you have any opinions or anything that you want to mention? Well, I really like the page that's opposite of the one we were talking about last, with Batman getting sucked into the future or him sucking into Batman's future. Yeah. It's almost like a, a Dormammu versus Eternity, Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely out of nowhere. see that. <laughs> Just full page. Batman going in. Oh, I do. I do really like the way the Joker is portrayed in this book. Like. Art-wise, right? Like the very good Joker, who you know, yeah, Joker looks really good in all the pages. I think my favorite of his, I'm trying to find it, is the one when he's walking into the jail. He has the can and it says "canned laughter." Oh yeah, and he says, "Won't be needing this," and tosses it over his shoulder. <laughs> that's a great shot of the Joker. Yeah, no, that's the shading on it's just perfect. Yeah, kind of toward, towards the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean. Overall, I'd probably give this story a four, I think. The Catwoman dying out of nowhere was kind of, <laughs> kind of funny. And then that shot where Catman, Catwoman dies in Batman's arm, right. arms might be one of the worst drawings of Batman I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I say overall it was Pretty good cool. artwork, but yeah, there are some pages where that's how I started to say earlier who got sidetracked and went off on another tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there there are some panels where some of the faces just is enough to is enough to snuff. It's just not quite what it could be. The shot of Batman laughing after Joker dies is amazing. I might keep that one. <laughs> and the shot of Joker dying is a good one. Yeah, that's what I was gonna mention. Where he get electrocuted, his his hair staying up on end, and he's like, ah, ah, ah. It, it, that's a great it's one. Almost Although I will say. I will say I'm a carpenter and I do occasional electrical work and uh, A, an outlet is not bad. It does not have enough power to fry you. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't sure. And, I'm not... Uh, I'm not and B, like poking that. a metal stick into one prong of an outlet would do nothing because you have to poke both prongs for it to work. <laughs> well, there you go. Unless he hit it hard enough to puncture and hit wires, but unless there was like a conduit wire for the whole building behind that outlet right. and stab straight through to it. Nothing that's running through your house 
carries enough voltage to do that. <laughs> of course, that's kind of a, a bit it's like by design. Right. Your house does not have enough power in a light bulb for you to stick your finger in there and burst into flames. <laughs> so that's the one unrealistic thing, which, you know. It's a comic book. Yeah, it's, it's meant to not be taken too seriously, I guess, but it makes for a nice visual, though. Even if it's unrealistic, uh-huh. it is a nice visual. Him getting electrocuted and just laying all fried. So even though that yeah, no, couldn't happen. Although <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty super duper specific nitpick that no one else probably would be bothered. <laughs> well, yeah, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, I, I could understand. You know, I say I, I'm, a, you know, I work for the IRS, so if I see things talking about the IRS and you know, audited and things like that, and no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so no, I can definitely totally. understand where you're coming from. Another picture yeah. I really like is I talked about the computer simulation of Batman being in the electric chair. It's like a two-thirds page mm. panel on page oh, yeah, that's 39 or so. Yeah, I really like the way that one's drawn. Even though it's not in... Yeah, kind of purple tone. Yeah, and... it's not in color per se. It's in purples, the yellow background. It's, it's a really nice page. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then I do like the page there. Uh, it's a couple more pages in when Batman pulls off the anarchy mask and him and Robin are driving away. Robin's kind of smiling. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I figured out who you were. <laughs> yeah. Although his his jaw, the, the shape of his jaw in that shot where he pulls off the anarchy mask, it's like almost Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I could see that. The squareness and like his eyes seem a little oversized. Again, again, Robin, just big grin on his face, like he just broke Bruce out of prison, and they're going to fight Joker. Sorry, I just took a drink, big drink of coffee. Again, uh, I can see that because again, they're they're, you know, as I said earlier, they're back together again. He's you know he's got his buddy back. Batman's not going to go to death row. Oh, also the way he suits up in the car while the car is driving reminds me of uh, what was it, Batman Forty Two of Rebirth. One where uh, they po- the last issue of the Poison Ivy arc, when Harley and Batman drive from the hospital, and then Harley says, "Batman's got a machine in his car that puts his pants on. Batman's crazier than any of us." <laughs> so I've been right. That Poison Ivy star I wasn't a big fan of. So I don't know if I finished reading that one. Yet. Oh, I hated it. But <laughs> yeah, I read the first issue funny. and I tried reading the probably the issue you're talking about. I kind of like skimmed through. I'm like, eh, I just it's not doing anything that- for me. Yeah, that one joke made was the highlight of the entire arc. I may have to go back and reread that issue just for that story, for that joke. <laughs> it's like the next to last page. I'll check that out. Thanks. Yeah, because I've never been a fan of Poison Ivy. So. Yeah, she's okay, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of her either. So like I said, the story just wasn't doing it for me. Also on page 40, uh, I'm going to call it 43 mm-hmm. or 44, when... Uh, we talked about this briefly where they're flying with the jet boots. In my reference, uh-huh. my, my uh, synopsis, I called them mummy rocket boots. That's a reference from Superman uh, comics from the early mm-hmm. days of the, uh, from Crisis to Crisis era Superman, when there was a mummy. Uh-huh. And they, it was like uh, issue five or six of the relaunched Superman book, and Lois Lane <laughs> was over overseas somewhere, and they, yeah, they found a mummy, a robot mummy with rocket boots. So it's uh, something I picked up from... Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Taylor, I think it was, over on the From Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast. They referenced the Mummy Rocket Boots. Whenever I see Rocket Boots, I think of that. 
they are like it's pretty funny that you know this is like a kind of gritty realistic book where batman's condemned to death and then all of a sudden rocket boots and baboons <laughs> but the, the rocket boots because it is futuristic and baboons well it's a joker story <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was just out of nowhere. It's like a grim, gritty, like, right. Joker got one over on Batman, and then Rocket yeah. and Baboon. Well, I love the Baboons with the berets with the picture of Joker on them, though. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at that. Um, well, I'm a little surprised <laughs> they didn't make him, like, mutant hyenas or something, since it's the Joker, but... <laughs> He's had Baboons before, I think. Yeah, and Baboons are probably, baboons are probably the more the, the comical, if you will... Of the monkeys, so mm. the ape franchise, so. Oh, <laughs> uh, probably, probably top three. I think Night Jumps are funnier. <laughs> at some point, the Joker's going to learn not to ride in a helicopter. I mean, in the uh, death of the uh, death in the family in the Batman comics mm. back in the late '80s, Batman took it down a helicopter with Joker in it. He took him out here in the Suicide Squad movie. He was mm. taken down in a helicopter. You think at a certain point the man would learn to stop riding helicopters? <laughs> that doesn't. End I mean, well. in, in fairness, I'm pretty sure in comic books riding a helicopter is basically a death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like there are so many helicopter crashes in the DC or in comic books, like constantly. Everybody gets in a helicopter crash, yeah. like <laughs> literally. Oh, like I read his Action Comics issue. Literally yesterday, that involved a helicopter crash. <laughs> it's probably like 403 or 404. Oh, okay. Helicopter crashes are commonplace. More so if the Hulk is involved. Oh, yeah. The Hulk involved everything in a crash, but... <laughs> I've always figured uh, if you're on, like, the Army's shit list, then you send you send the Hulk, them after the Hulk in a helicopter. Oh, you like, messed up, boy. Send private Jetson. I hate you married my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> You're on hold detail. Get in the helicopter. Oh, crap. I'm yeah. it now. <laughs> Which I liked later when they made it so they were all unmanned drones. So that way yeah. Hulk wasn't killing 75 Army yeah. sergeants. Uh, uh, an issue. Comment for a different, different podcast. But yeah, I've got some issues with the way they tried to retcon that. Well, no, the Hulk never actually killed anybody during all his rampage. Oh, my crush shenanigans on that one. Doesn't seem possible. <laughs> I, I like the Hulk, I, you know, but I, I cry shenanigans the fact that over 50 years, the Hulk never killed anybody accidentally. I mean, it's not his intention to kill people. Yeah. He's not, you know, a murderer. Statistical impossibility. He's not, he's not a madman <laughs> trying to kill people, but he, he's a child with the powers of a god rampaging. Someone's going to accidentally yeah. die, whether he intended to or not. <laughs> He knocked over 500 buildings in the last 10 years. There's not a possibility there wasn't like a janitor in the basement in one of those buildings. Yeah. You know, Someone's it's dead. not like Superman where he scans the building with his x-ray vision and goes, it's safe to bring this building down, which in your life, how many times have you walked into a building that had literally nobody inside it? Never. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. You know, in the comic world, there's a lot of empty buildings, a lot of buildings ready to be condemned and... Especially these bigger yeah. cities, I guess. I'm from a small town, so uh, maybe these bigger cities yeah. are a lot of these condemned buildings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's this burned-out tenement around the corner. We'll hide there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the art in the story. How many burned-out tenements in Metropolis are there? <laughs> talk the art in the story. You mentioned earlier about when the Batman Batman's laughing at the Joker being dead. It's kind of a, 
a bit of a switcher. You got one panel where he, you know, he's busting up laughing. Ah ha ha! And the next panel, Robin comes in, stands over him. He's got like a very dour expression on his face. He goes from laughing to being very morose in the blink of an eye. I think he's just mad that somebody caught him in a moment of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sorry you saw that. <laughs> Maybe. Damn, Roman. Well, I mean, this era, though, had a weirdly large amount of panels with Batman laughing, because he also laughs in Venom, if you remember. Right. And then, and then also in one of the 1995 annuals, he laughs at Poison Ivy in a really similar fashion. <laughs> well, at the end of uh, The Killing Joke. He, he, oh, yeah, that's too. The Joker share a little laugh. Yeah. I am glad because this is right in the era uh, post year one when almost all the books do uh, gray editorial boxes with black cursive font, which is almost impossible to read in an older issue. Yeah. <laughs> as the. <laughs> yeah, some of, As the ink starts to settle and stuff, they just turn. It turns into blobs. Yeah. So I'm glad that that's like that, that problem with, with Crisis. Some of the panels didn't work out so well because they had the writing they chose just didn't come through and yeah. didn't stay clear after it was printed out. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, overall I say it's for the for the the, the uh, Armageddon series, this was a good annual. Uh, overall, mm-hmm. the artwork was I say except for a few panels here and there. Like I say the, the panel, like you mentioned earlier, Batman standing over. Catwoman's corpse, you know, with his mummy rocket boots on, saying, this is it, Joker, this is it, Joker, tonight is it! That's a little odd-looking. Yeah. Uh, a few other panels that we mentioned here and there, that the panels just aren't quite what they should be. But overall, it was a great book, it was a great, I thought it was a great story. Right there, it is, that, that panel you talked yeah. about earlier, if the Joker throwing that can laughter away, take it from me, we won't be eating yeah. this! <laughs> yeah, that was a great shot. Yeah. I actually really like the shot of one of the baboons shooting Penguin with a blowgun dart, too. Oh, yeah, there you go. That was a weirdly fantastic shot of a bag, baboon with a blowgun. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know how you would find that for reference material. <laughs> one, another panel that I really like, I was just scrolling through real quick looking for it. Uh, there's two panels I wanted to mention. There's the panel where Batman's fighting the Joker. Mm-hmm. And the Joker's already to die. It's like on page ten or so when Batman or mm-hmm. Penguin falls off the roof and Batman tries to jumps after him. That those last couple panels there, it's very. I like those panels. Something about that just it screams like Jim Aparo artwork to me. That power Penguin's dying. You've killed the fairest bird of all. And Batman's looking horrified. <laughs> I just like the way that panel's laid out. Oh yeah, and the, although. In that panel you're talking about, Batman standing over him again has a pretty bizarre facial expression. But the next one's really good. Yeah, and that's that's one of the, the penguins lying there dead, and then yeah, the, that next that last panel there where Batman's like oh, the, the expression lines around his face and he's horrified what happened. Yeah, that's, I, was, uh, I was kind of like from the first time I read it, I was kind of off put by the way Catwoman sets out to find out what actually happened. Like, to me, it seems like that should have been Tim. Um, not to mention, it's really out of character for Catwoman to walk around knocking heads and trying to find, find reference to a conspiracy. And considering Tim's already in the story, it makes so much more sense for it to be Tim. Not to mention the fact that besides the ending, Catwoman more or less had no bearing on 
the story. Right. She didn't find out anything that Batman didn't find out anyway because he deduced it from talking to Batman. So she literally died for nothing. Yeah, and I, I kind of, I, I do agree she died for nothing because, yeah, Batman and Tim found this all on their own. She didn't really contribute. She just happened to be there, to come to the same conclusion to be there at the same yeah, time as them. She died in Batman's arm to give him a little bit more pathos to go after. But I think part of it was to to kind of reference back to the, the pre-crisis where Batman Kevin was married, and I, I think... Yeah. I think it was a little reference to that. Is kind of why they wanted her in here, and you mm-hmm. know, because I'm trying to remember in the early '90s if they hooked up yet, or if they, if they were hitting at a romance between them. She was girding the line between villainous and yeah. trying not to be a villain, trying to you know fall for Batman, and so I think that's where they were going for in here. Yeah, the early '90s in her solo series, she was just straight up jewel thief who was kind of teasing Batman a bunch, and then. Like late nineties, early two thousands, they started getting a little more than teasing and then two thousand four hush they right. came together. And then I think they split they split at the end of Hush, but then uh they do the they did the solo series where Selena has a baby <laughs> with uh Slam Bradley's son. You know, yes, I kinda of checked out of that series. I, I couldn't get into that one for some reason. I think it was the artwork. I really liked the art and wasn't a terrible series. Uh, I thought the use of Angleman as a, as one of the main villains, it was Angleman and Film Freak and Captain Cold and Hugo Strange. That was Catwoman's nemesis squad. Yeah, for some, I don't remember if it was the art or if it was something in that I just couldn't get into that, that storyline. I want to see the art, but again, it's been, it's been a couple of years, so I, I... I'm going to have to relook that and reevaluate it. It's actually not a bad series, but yeah, the art was, I forget who did the art, but they kind of went with like almost a 60s pinup style for the art. Right. Like a, like an old noir pulp kind of feel to the book. Yeah, I think at the time when that then came out, I just wasn't itself. into it at the time. I think it was the art on that one. I just, I couldn't, not that, it, not that it was bad art, it just wasn't for me at the time. Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, there's definitely books that I, I passed over when I was younger. Figuring, not thinking they were my cup of tea that I like Booster Gold, the Jeff Johns Booster Gold book. I was like, Booster Gold, I don't care about Booster Gold, I didn't buy that. Now I regret it. <laughs> yeah, so I missed Booster Gold's original series. I became a fan of Booster, again, not that this is a Booster podcast, but that's Jay Jones over on the Silver and Gold podcast. But uh, I, I became a fan of the uh, Booster Gold during the Just League International run. That's where I was introduced to Booster mm-hmm. Gold, and I fell in love with him and Blue Beetle there. Yeah, JLI was a little before my time. I started reading comics like 1994, 95. Okay, yeah. Well, if you, so. if you get them, if you can find them cheap or get the trade paperbacks, and all of us, just like International, I think was a great run. It was well, JLI they did an omnibus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just came with an omnibus for the JLI thing run. So, and that, again, that was in my opinion, it was a bit more of a comedy take at the Justice League. So a lot of people didn't care for it because it wasn't a straight-up superhero. It was more of an office poly, office drama slash comedy book. But, yeah. Yeah. Keith Griffin did a fantastic job on that. Yeah, no, it looks good. Um, I just read the Armageddon 2001 JLI book. Right. And I liked it. So. Yeah, it does. And I remember they had the, what, Superman, Death of Superman tie-in. Right. That's all the JLI I've read. Oh, okay, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was getting near the. But not not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, the death of Superman was getting near the end of the the JLI classic run, and they're about ready to change mm-hmm. from there over to a more traditional Justice League at that point. But yeah, the Justice League International from the when it cro- came out of Legends in '87 mm-hmm. for like five or ten years, whatever it was. I don't remember, I forget how long it ran, but yeah, the Justice League International, it started out not quite as funny, and within a few issues, the humor started coming in, and yeah, by issue eight or nine, ten, it started picking up the jokes more, and it became more, well, it wasn't a completely comedy book, there was a whole lot of comedy in that, it was, that's where the classic Wahaha came from, was that book. Uh, my buddy, the Redeemable Shag, has a podcast called the Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, where he's looking at each issue. And that's a great podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't read the book, you may want to check that out. Like they spoil things and talk about it, but I think Shaq, he has different, he's doing what I'm doing on this, kind of where I stole this idea from. He has a different guests on every episode. Uh, he had me on for the Just League Suicide Squad crossover. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the, the crossover I was on dealing with those two books. That, that's a great podcast. It was a great book. Uh, but I guess <laughs> I should stop plugging other people's shows and continue with mine. The other, <laughs> I get sidetracked like that. Uh, the other, that page I wanted to mention was the one page, I'm going to call it page 15, where Gordon and Sarah's visiting Batman in jail, and they're sitting there, and they, Batman, Gordon's kind of hug, hug it out. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. Even though it's kind of sappy, kind of corny, I, I like that panel. And then when Gordon's leaving, like, damn it, Sarah, my heart's in there with the finest man I ever knew. <laughs> Again, <laughs> totally. kind of sappy, kind of corny, but I, I like that. And it, like I say... Batman and Commissioner Gordon are best of friends. It was never said that Gordon knew who Batman was, but it was hinted at. There was references here and there. I want to say yeah. around Detective 600, maybe, Gordon made a comment that made it to me made me think that he knows who Batman is, but he's turning a blind eye just because it's Batman. I will say the whole page... Right, um... About uh, midway through, but when he gets the phone call from Joker, right, the second page of him getting the phone call from Joker, the panel where he says, "Why don't you come around?" Where he's got that little sly smile. <laughs> I really liked that. That's a great panel of him. And I also, story-wise, really liked the the police officer yeah. coming up saying, "You helped my kid a few years ago," you know, and tries to hand him hand him the keys to the cell and be like, you know, if you want to get out of here, you can. <laughs> And he says no. Like it, it totally makes sense to me that like you know as many people as these help, it's a good story touch to uh, have some of them be like, you know, you did right by me. I can you know I can let you out of here. You don't deserve to be in here. Yeah, you know, like that. Well, a lot of cops may not like Batman because he's doing things they can't do or won't do or whatever it may be. You got a mm-hmm. point. Yeah, a lot of people do like Batman, even law enforcement, because he can do what they can't do and. Like you said here, you know, this guy's kid was running on the street, running the street with gangs, doing drugs. You know, and Batman caught him. Instead of paying him away, he hooked him up with some rich guy, Bruce Wayne, who paid the voice yeah. fees. And I like the fact that Batman remembers him. Yeah, he. It's that's the funniest thing. I remember that striking me, too. He, is Batman remembers everybody oh, by name. Leroy, I can't hear. Some little black kid he found, you know, doing drugs, running gangs. You know, he turned over to Bruce Wayne in quotes. He remembers his kids. Leroy Schnaw. Yeah, Leroy Schnaw. I remember. <laughs> How's he doing? He ain't. He doing never killed, killed in the oil war. But you didn't make a favor. Bummer. I'd like to return it. 
I like that. Thanks, Mr. Snod. But running away wasn't Leroy style. It's not mine either. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that was a nice touch. Um, and I really like it when in stories like this, like, you know, if the hero gets jailed, it makes total sense that someone would be like, you know, try to help him. Yeah. Like, like help all the people. Like, that makes sense to me. I remember during Bruce Wayne murderer, I want to say, um, Superman offered to break Bruce out of jail right. at one point. Um, which he said no until he was convinced of his innocence, and then he broke out himself, and then he did the thing where he renounced his Bruce Wayne identity and became just Batman until he went broke, and then <laughs> throwing hubcaps at people. I don't know. <laughs> and see, he wasn't so much opposed to the idea of getting out of jail because just a little bit later he switches places with anarchy. As I say, I think he just didn't, he didn't want to break out that point because he knew that. Possibly, Mr. Snod, the the, the uh, guard, would get in trouble for it, and he didn't want that to happen. The way I look at it. Well, is that after? That's after he got the phone call from Joker, right? right? Yeah, that's because first I thought, well, maybe he got the phone call from Joker after this, but I got re-looking at it, and no, he hangs up the phone call with Joker, where the Joker says, "I killed the why I killed the first bird of all," which is the comic yeah, that's after Penguin he made. knows that Batman. Yeah, Anarchy's, he knows that Batman, or he didn't do right. it. Anarchy's yeah. breaking in at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, because he sees Anarchy across on one of the, on the top of the prison. So he knows Anarchy's coming in. So I think that's why he told Nod, you know, not to worry about it. That, you know, I'm not going to run. And, and his face on that page, the, the, the panel when he says, why I killed the fairest bird of right. all, it's like, it totally is like he just realized something. Yeah. You know? Like, that's great right there. Like, that whole phone call is a good... Oh yeah, good close-up shot of his face, and see. Then he realizes it, and then the next page he says, "Yeah, come on <laughs> over." He knows exactly what he's gonna do. Like that. Yeah. So that's the favor, because you know they never say what the favor is exactly. Right. But that's he knows what Joker did, and then he asks Anarchy for a favor, and then swaps places with him. Yeah, Anarchy was always or an anti-hero, if you will. He he came across villainous because of his ways, but he was trying to do things for the good of the world. In his opinion, so I could see him swapping places with Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he knows. I mean, I did think it was a little funny that Batman, after X number of days, is still sitting in the jail cell in full costume. Yeah, that's another thought <laughs> I had. I forgot to mention. I forgot to put my notes, but that's one thing. That when I first read this, again, I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know if the, I don't know if they would let him sit in costume, especially when he's. Mm-hmm. He, apparently he's already been. I can understand. I can understand maybe they let him stay in costume when he first gets arrested, maybe for you know. But he's convicted. He, he's sentenced to go to death row, and they still have him in costume. Like, you would think again. I know it's not realistic. It's not real world. It's a comic book. But you would think they would take him out of his costume. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, also, another thing I just remembered that I noticed when I reread it just now right. is they say he's there because of the mayor's death penalty. Right. <laughs> Which, that means the mayor imposed the death penalty? Like, is that a power mayors have? Um, he's there because of mayor's, mayor's death penalty. Like, the mayor imposed the death penalty on him. Yeah, I'm trying to think if 
who would impose who who would make that ruling? I know it's I don't know if it's to be the mayor. I think it's like a that's not a city thing. I think that's more of a, a, a state. Yeah, it's a state governor thing. Yeah, I think it'd be more of a governor thing than a, the mayor. I don't know if they just wanted to go for the quick make the mayor the bad guy, or if Alan Grant doesn't understand how these things work. Yeah, it's the same page. It's the panel before the. My heart's in there with the finest man I ever knew. Right. Damn Mayor Toombs and his death penalty. And you know what? Honestly, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. I went along with the story and said, okay, that's a, you know, damn that mayor. But yeah, now that you mentioned it to me, you've got a point there that, yeah, the mayor wouldn't be making, unless there's something I'm missing in politics, yeah, the mayor wouldn't be making a death penalty sentences. That would be something coming from... As far well, as they make it sound like he enabled the death penalty, right. which the mayor definitely does not have the power. No, that would be that would be like the, the uh, state supreme court, maybe. Yeah, some of the state level would make a they would give death penalty make it a an option, and then it would be like the DA or the DA's office would be the one saying that they want to go over the, after the death penalty or not. You know, I need to push for it or whatever. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Or maybe the mayor. I mean, the mayor. I guess the mayor could tell the DA office to go for the death penalty, but the way it's worded there, you're right. It's it's a little off. Yeah, it's, it makes it sound like yeah, the mayor's the one that's put the death policy in place. But yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be the mayor doing that. It'd be in his death penalty. Yeah, yeah. I'm just rereading that page. That page again. Damn mayor tombs in his death penalty. When the city voted him in, they never dreamed it would be used against Batman. <laughs> uh, yeah. Huh, that's something to think about. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think, but yeah, it would be the DA or the DA's office would be going They mentioned the it more than thing. once in the. They mentioned it at least twice in the book, too, so it's not like a one off. <laughs> right. Huh, it's very mayor imposing his death penalty. Interesting. <laughs> I guess in that far flung future of 2001. Or, yeah, maybe something's changed in the last. Laws work a years. little different. <laughs> The far-flung future. <laughs> September 2001. Who knows where it will be? Yeah, I'm looking back. Yeah, look where we're out there. Man, <laughs> uh, notice overall, like, like, yo, I enjoyed this book. Uh, on a one scale, one to five, I would probably give it a four. Well, not the, the yeah. greatest. It was, it was better than average. So. Yeah, I think out of the, the I've read. There's 15 books in Armageddon 2001. I think I've read eight of them so far. Okay. And uh, I'd call it one of the better ones. I did. I liked the Superman one, but uh, like the Justice League one was kind of a bunch of vignettes about the various members of the league, so that he could check all of them. No. I think this one was definitely a stronger story. I'll be getting that Justice League one next month. It's good. Um, I do think this one's stronger than the Detective one as well. Yeah. Which uh, the Detective one, I have all kinds of problems with. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Talk. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk that in a couple of months. But yeah, I. Out of the two of them, again, I'll have to reread the detective and make sure, but yeah, I, I believe this was the, the stronger of the two books. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of... The detective one. Another podcast I want to throw out real quick is uh, some Australian buddy podcaster buddies of ours. Uh, they've got a show, Waiting for Doom podcast. They started a series within theirs called the DCOCD, where they're looking at each uh-huh. episode of... Or not each episode, but they look at each crossover... Starting with the crisis, and they're oh, nice. they're looking at each each uh, crossover within one episode, just a brief, as Shag would say, ten thousand foot view look at it, and 
they, I sent my, they asked me for my thoughts on Armageddon 2001 since I'm doing this. So I sent my thoughts into them and yeah, that's another podcast you may want to check out. If you, it's uh, part of the, like I say, it's part of the Waiting for Doom podcast where they talk about the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. They've got a mini thing within there called the DC OCD. And they released five episodes so far. They've done Crisis, Legends, the Millennium Event, uh, Cosmic Odyssey, and Invasion. And they're working through all the different oh, events nice. in DC. And it's a great podcast, and they look at it briefly. And I brought that up because I was going Sounds somewhere like with it. But, but, <laughs> oh, sorry, but yeah, like I, I told them, uh, overall it was good. There was, you know... Is a series overall, some of the stories were better than others, some of the art was better than others, some of them wasn't quite so great, which we'll get into, but mm-hmm. yeah, this was one of the better, better end. I haven't books. really ran into any I have flat out not liked. I'd, I'd call this crossover pretty good, actually, in terms of relatively large scale annual crossovers. Like, I seems, it feels stronger than like Final Night, it seems stronger than some of those other ones, you know? Oh, no, I really like the this era. That's why I'm doing. A podcast. I mean, Invasion is higher up just because the Invasion was the first crossover I was that happened when I first started collecting. So that's got a little yeah. bit of sentimental value, but but this is up there. This yeah. is a better crossover. Yeah, I remember the Invasion covers scared me when I was probably like <laughs> six or seven. <laughs> well, they did their job. Yeah, see, I was nineteen twenty when they came out, so I was a bit older. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think Invasion was like two years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so like 80, 86? <laughs> uh, invasion? No, Invasion came out in 89. Oh, okay, so I was one. <laughs> yeah, Invasion, because Crisis was in 85, 80, 85, 86. Yeah, that's right. So it was like 90 or 90, it was 88. 88, okay, so yeah, the year I was born. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the year I graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool that's why I was um, just getting into comics and so Invasion holds a special place just because when I said that came out when I was just getting into comics and so that had a special place for me but yeah I'd say that my, my event for that is probably Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin <laughs> give you a scope of right <laughs> Maybe Grant Morrison's Batman run was when I was in high school that was coming out, and I got I have about sixty percent of Grant Morrison's Batman run in single issues still, and most of his Batman and Robin run too, um, that I bought each of them the day they came out in two thousand eight or so. Yes, that's when I was I stopped buying comics in two thousand seven just because of finances, but I still found ways to read them online, but. I liked early Grant Morrison. I loved his Animal Man run. I loved like Doom Patrol, things like that. But his later stuff, I'm just not a huge fan of. Anyway, so we've covered the event. We gave our opinions on it. I think that's going to do it for this time. Uh, John, do you have anything you want to promote? Do you want to tell anyone about? Um, as I said, I write for ComicWatch.com and do occasionally record podcasts for Comic Watch as well. Um, I have a half dozen pages. You can find me at my group for the love of comic books and Facebook and, or you can look me up, John Jack, ask me stuff, talk to me. I love comics. Talk about comics all day. Well, definitely. <laughs> That'll do it. All right, <laughs> all right, John. Well, again, thank you very much for talking with me and we'll talk to you in a few months for Detective Comics. Yep. 
But uh, Great. thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Nice talking to you. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus, will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Dr. Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenstaffner. Come in, in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I just... I just... I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC event, as in the comic books, DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally that one. Yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very invasion, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the uh, the Genesis. Uh, not so much. No. Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD. You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I don't think I can claim you on benefits. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. When should we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death-and-return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. 
The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But from Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash fromcrisistocrisis, a Superman podcast dot com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. And now back to Head Speaks. Welcome back. Definitely check out those shows. Some great shows we've talked about in the previous segment. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. I present to you... Mail Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. You've got mail. And here we go with Head's Mailbag. I know I haven't done much of this recently. haven't got a lot of emails or anything really to talk about. I get the Facebook likes here and there, but not very much. But I did get an email, uh, so I want to read that today. Again, if I get any emails or any uh, reviews on iTunes, I will definitely read those. Um, so let's go and get to the email. So this came from Jimmy Anderson. Uh, Jimmy said, I heard about your show from another comic podcast. Armageddon 2001 was one of my first crossover events as well. I was out of high school and had gone through a period of no comics for several years, so I missed the original Crisis. Since I was getting back into comics some, this looked good, and being time travel, well that just made it all the better. Anyway, great show, and I too smiled when Legends Tomorrow Rip Hunter gave the name of the ship. I smiled again when he said that he had had it for about a decade, which of course, at least in my mind, was referenced to Armageddon 2001, taking place one decade earlier, one decade earlier in 1991. Smiley face. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate the email. I always appreciate feedback and comments, and especially comic book origins, if you will, from our listeners. Uh, being a big fan and geek myself, I enjoy hearing other people talk about their love of comics and how they got started. Uh, as far as your email, uh, for those that may not be watching Legends of Tomorrow, may have missed any earlier comments I made on this. Yes, on Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Rip Hunter's ship is named the Wave Rider. Which, as you've been listening to these episodes, you know Wave Rider's the name of our main character. And you know what, Jimmy? I'm, I'm glad you caught that decade. He's had it about a decade. I missed that. I, I didn't catch it. It didn't ring any bells with me. I didn't even think about it. 
and it may not mean anything, but that is a very good reference. If they didn't attend the decade and the whole army in 2001 being 10 or 10 years earlier, I don't know. I like that. That's a very good, very good catch, Jimmy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And that's the only comment. I haven't got anything else recently. I mean, there's Facebook likes and everything. Uh, having said that, I do want to thank everybody that's liked and supported my show on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, even though I don't do much there. On uh, Google Plus, I don't do much there. Mainly on head, on uh, Facebook, where I mainly hang out at. But I appreciate everybody that comments or shows support, shares my links. You guys are all appreciated. So so that you guys mean the world to me. You guys are very special to me. I appreciate every one of you. And again, just keep, please, writing. Let me know what you think. I I like to make the show as good as I can. I know my uh, scheduling has been kind of hectic and haywire at times here recently. uh, For most of my show, unfortunately. But I'm working on trying to get that resolved. But you know what? Thank uh, thank you, everybody, that's listening to this or that's commented or that's done anything regarding my show, shared links, like my post, anything. I I thank you all. And I think that's it for the day. We're going to go ahead and cut out of here. We'll see you guys next month when I continue my Armageddon 2001 mega crossover. I have another guest lined up. Um, It should be the irritable shag. We should be talking about Just Like America Annual number five, plus whatever else I might be able to squeeze in. But until next month, remember... Head has spoken.